Hello, and welcome to a special edition of First Importance, the official podcast of First Baptist Church in West Memphis, Arkansas. I'm Pastor Josh Hall. And now let's go to our Bible study already in progress as Dr. Jimmy Milliken and I look at the subject of eschatology. Well, I suppose it would be called a lecture. I don't know exactly what difference there is in my preaching and my teaching. It usually comes out about the same either way. But this is a little bit unusual. I don't have a text to try to expound what I want to do in the, the beginning of this series that just simply introduced to you the subject of eschatology. Now, we don't often use that word. In fact, in the Baptist, uh, the Confession of Faith, Baptist Confession of Faith of 2000, and it also appeared in earlier Confessions of Faith that we Southern Baptists have adopted as a guideline. Uh, you have the you have the article last things, and that really is what eschatology is all about. It's about what's coming in the future. It's what uh, the, uh, uh, the the topic last things. In fact, when I teach this course even in seminary, in the seminary catalog, it may be called eschatology or it may be called a course on last things. Uh, the, the word eschatology is a combination of two Greek words. The word eschatos, which means last or end, and ology, which comes from the Greek word logos, which is the word for word or discourse. And so when we speak about eschatology, it is a discourse on last things. Uh, for example, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, you find this statement. This know that in the last days. Now the word last there is the Greek word eschatos. And so we have brought this into the English language as a technical term. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking about of their own lust. So last days. Uh, that word last is the Greek word eschatos. Now in biblical studies and in theological studies, we, we bring in technical words to, to uh, refer to these particular topics, just like in other disciplines. For example, in most, uh, in most academic studies and in science, medicine, and so forth, uh, there are technical words. Most of these technical words have been from the Greek or the Latin. For example, the word biology. Biology is a combination of the Greek word bios and ology or logos, and it's a study of living things. Uh, the word psychology comes from the Greek word psyche, which is soul or mind, and ology, the study of human behavior or the human mind. The word cardiology. Now, many of us are familiar with cardiologists in, our, in my age group. I have a cardiologist. Well, that's a combination of two Greek words, cardia, which is the word for heart, and ology, which is the word for horologist, which is the word for study or for uh, discourse. So a cardiologist is a specialist in heart matters. And so theology does the same thing. We have 
technical words that refer to these various doctrinal subjects. And uh, for example, uh, the word theology is a general word for all that's related to a study about God, but in restricted sense, it's a doctrine of God. Theos is the Greek word for God, and of course, ology, the word logos, a discourse on God. Uh, we have a technical word for the doctrine of salvation, soteriology. Soter is the Greek word for salvation, and logos, or ology, it's a discourse on the doctrine of salvation. Uh, and and on, on down the list you can go, we have a technical word for each of these doctrinal subjects in theology. And so the last of the subjects is eschatology, which is a study of last things. And uh, so just to familiarize you with, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really hurt for uh, people in the pew to know a little bit of technical, uh, technical words that uh, are often used in the classroom in colleges and seminaries. So as the pastors used, this is going to be a series on eschatology. It's a series on what the Bible teaches about the last days. Now let me speak about the scope of eschatology. I think some people have the idea that eschatology is just about particular events that we see happening in our world today and think that it's uh, close to the end time. But uh, there's a, there are various aspects of this whole doctrine of last things. For example, there's what is called personal or individual eschatology. This has to do with what happens to the person, the individual, to you and me, between the death of the body, physical death, and the resurrection of the body. Now that's known as the intermediate state. Now that's one of the topics that we, we don't have a schedule, and so I want to say a word about that uh, uh, later on. Uh, just a brief word, we're not going to go into detail about that, but that's a part of personal eschatology. Personal eschatology has to do with the final destiny of each person, whether heaven or hell. That's personal or individual eschatology. So there's something coming in the future and perhaps in the very near future for you and me. And if Jesus doesn't come in the next 50 years, it's going to something happen to many people who are here in this audience today, tonight. And so that's personal or individual eschatology. Now there's what we call cosmic eschatology. Cosmos is the word for world or earth. And so that's concerned with what will happen to creation in the end. Will there, how will, the, how will this world end? Or will there be a definite end? And of course the Bible does teach us. One of the early members of my childhood now, I was not brought up in a church-going family, a Christian family, but my mother was a moralist, and she knew a little bit about the Bible. I'm not sure what religious background she had. She, thank God she eventually became a Christian and became a Baptist. But uh, uh, what little re remembrance I have about trying to teach us boys to be good, she talked about the world coming to an end one of these days. God destroyed the world by water on one occasion, but the next time 
the world will be destroyed, not by water, but by fire. And, of course, there's a reference to that in the book of Second Peter. And so uh, cosmic eschatology has to do with the end of creation, the end of the created order. There's what is known as corporate eschatology. Now, corporate eschatology has to do with the future or the end of uh, the human family, the human race. And, and, and basically, this covers the second coming of Christ, what's going to take place uh, to, to humanity when, when Jesus comes. And then finally, there is what is known as national or ethnic eschatology. It's concerned specifically with uh, what's going to happen to the nations and to the races in the end time. And most usually, ethnic or national eschatology majors on the place of Israel in the end times, the Jews in the end times. And so we are going to have some emphasis on that in one of the topics that comes later on in this series of studies. So that gives you some broad sense of what eschatology is all about and the different aspects that the end times or the last days deals with. Now the next, if you follow me in the outline, the place of eschatology in our Christian beliefs. There are two extremes that you find present even in today's emphasis. There's what may be called eschatomania. That means there are those who are preoccupied with eschatology to the extent that they make that their own emphasis. And usually when that takes place, uh, Christian brothers and sisters, it usually uh, results in error. Years ago, someone described to me or explained to me what heresy is. And as I began to think about it, it turned out to be true. Heresy usually is the exaggeration of the biblical truth. For example, if you spend all of your time thinking about demons, you see, demons are real. The Bible indicates that the demonic world is out there. There is a devil. And he has his agents, which are demons. But there have been those who spend all their time emphasizing demons, and they usually go off into a heretical view. They see a demon behind every bush. And any doctrine that you can think about, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the Bible plainly indicates the, the, uh, uh, the importance of the Holy Spirit. And if everybody spends all their time thinking about the Holy Spirit, usually... Uh, results in a heretical view of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if a person is preoccupied only with the doctrine of eschatology, it usually results in a heretical view or an exaggerated view. It results in folks setting dates, for example. Does anybody remember here why Jesus will come in 1988? 88, 88 reasons why Jesus will come in 1988. Does anybody remember, is anybody, when I was an interim pastor over at uh, McLean Baptist Church in Memphis, well, I, interim pastor, it was seven-year period, but uh, uh, when that was all taking place, uh, one of the deacons came up, I was in my study uh, waiting for the service to start one Sunday morning, 
And he brought a box of books. He said, uh, someone put this box of books of these, this booklet on the doorsteps of the church, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1988. He said, what do you want me to do with them? I said, throw them in the trash. And so I preached on the second coming that next Sunday and told folks that Jesus would not come on the day that that author said he's going to come on. I mean, he predicted the month and the day, the week that Jesus would come. I said, he will not come on that day. I said, he may come before, and he certainly is going to come after, but he's not going to come on that day. And why could I be so certain? He said, no man knows the day and the hour. But you see, uh, uh, eschatomania is a uh, uh, preoccupation with, uh, with eschatology and they make that their whole doctrinal system. And then there's what is known as eschatophobia. That simply means that there are those who shun the doctrine, those who avoid the doctrine. And there are two aspects of this particular extreme. There are those who are afraid of the end of the world. I mean, it scares them to death. Uh, I've known individuals that didn't want the pastor to talk about the second coming of Christ because it might frighten the children. Uh, uh, and so there are those who are afraid of the doctrine, and then there are those who neglect the doctrine of eschatology. They hardly ever mention it. Nobody ever teaches about it in the church. Uh, the book of Revelation is avoided. Uh, it's just a neglect of the doctrine. When, uh, when I was a professor at what is now Williams Baptist University, we had a ministerial alliance on campus and we had a monthly meeting. And one of the monthly meetings was, uh, was planned about on, on, uh, on uh, the book of Revelation or eschatology. And one of the students got a little frustrated because of the different viewpoints, and he just threw up his hand and said, what difference does it make? And so my answer to him, I said, well, the book of Revelation is in the Bible, and you have to do something with it. And so there are those who simply neglect it because of the different opinions about it, the different methods, and the different approaches to eschatology, and so that is what is called eschatophobia, those who are afraid of the doctrine. Now, let me give you what I believe the biblical perspective on this particular subject of eschatology. First of all, the Bible emphasizes that we need to be informed about what's coming in the future. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. I would not have you to be ignorant. And this is a great passage on the second coming of Christ. And in this passage you have the statement, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. <coughs> I remember when I was pastor of a church in Dallas, Texas, I had, uh, and the Southern Baptist Convention was meeting in Dallas, Texas, one of those years I was there. And I had a friend, a college, a college classmate. In fact, he was uh, a youth director at a church I uh, was a member of in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was a, a youth in that 
church and became a friend of mine. And he just happened to uh, go to East Texas Baptist University uh, when I was a student there. And uh, he became, went back to St. Louis and became a pastor in St. Louis. And he and his wife and a couple from his church, this couple from his church were very interested in eschatology. In fact, they were for much in agreement with me. They were premillennialists. But this pastor friend and a man, he was totally unconcerned about it. And they attended the church that I pastored in Dallas during the convention. And would you know that my text was 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. And I made the statement, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. And that couple was sitting by this pastor friend of mine. I saw him elbow him in uh, that, uh, uh, that, in other words, he needed to hear the fact that we're, that the Bible wants us to know something about it, wants us not to be ignorant. And, and, uh, and when Timothy, when Paul writes to Timothy about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I want you to know this. And when Peter writes about it in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, he says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both, now listen to this, which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking their own lust. You see, the Bible exhorts us to be informed about these events, so we must not neglect them. We must not ignore them. We must not say they are of no importance. One of the final discourses or sermons of our Lord himself. In the book of Matthew, Matthew's gospel can be organized around five discourses of the Lord. One of the most uh, and longest one that probably the most well known is the Sermon on the Mount. But the last of these discourses that our Lord gave was on eschatology. We call it the eschatological discourse, or sometimes it's called uh, the discourse on Mount Olivet. But one of the final statements our Lord gave us was that sermon on eschatology. And did you know that every human writer of the New Testament makes mention of the fact that Jesus is going to come again. There are eight different writers of the 27 books, eight different human writers of the 27 books of the, Old Test of the New Testament. And every one of them makes reference to the eschatology, makes reference particularly to the coming of the Lord. And so uh, Paul speaks about the second coming of Christ, for example, in the Letter to Titus, as the blessed hope, it is a comforting doctrine, it's a hopeful doctrine, and therefore it is not to be feared. And so that's something of the biblical, uh, the, uh, the place that eschatology ought to have in our doctrinal emphasis, in our doctrinal systems. And then I make reference to the fact that 
two entire books of the Bible, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, are classified as eschatological books. The book of Daniel in the Old Testament and the book of Revelation in the New Testament. And there are other eschatological passages. I've mentioned the discourse of our Lord on Olivet, uh, uh, Mount of Olives. Uh, there are other eschatological passages such as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In fact, 1 and 2 Thessalonians are often classified as the eschatological epistles of Paul's letters. And so just need to be reminded of that. And if anybody preaches through the Bible, which is a very common uh, method of preaching in Baptist circles today, they're going to eventually have to come to the book of Daniel, and they're going to have to come to the book of Revelation. When I was a pastor in Dallas, I mean a pastor in Texas, I was in East, East Texas at that time, before I went to Dallas, I used to listen to W.A. Criswell every Sunday morning, the early service. They had a, at First Baptist Church to Dallas, they had an 8 o'clock service and had an 11 o'clock service. And I tuned in to the 8 o'clock service every Sunday morning before I went to the pulpit in my little church. And I remember when Criswell, he, he had, a, had a program of preaching through the Bible. He's the one that really, I think, made that popular. Uh, the common method of preaching in most Baptist pulpits before that was probably called what we call topical preaching. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so Criswell introduced the idea of preaching through the books of the Bible. And at that particular time, he had gotten to the book of Revelation. And uh, as he began to expound the book of Revelation, I heard those sermons every Sunday morning. And so Daniel and Revelation, but there are other eschatological passages in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. For example, I consider... Uh, Isaiah chapter 11 to be a, a, a millennial passage in the Old Testament. Well, coming now to the next, if you follow me in the outline, and I want to try to leave a little time for prayer, the subjects of eschatology. What's involved? What, what, what subjects are uh, classified as eschatological subjects? You know, the, uh, as I said, the Baptist faith and message, uh, confession of faith, the most recent one adopted was 2000, have this statement about last things. They entitled it last things. God in his own time and in his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. So it has a statement about the end of the created world. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return. There's a statement about the second coming, and it uh, is specified. He will come personally and visibly in glory. To to the dead will be raised. There's a subject of the resurrection. And Christ will judge all men in righteousness. There's the coming judgment. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment, there's the subject of hell, the destiny, the final destiny of unbelievers. 
the righteous in their resurrection and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. There's the subject of heaven. But there are other subjects that, that the statement of faith does not uh, specify. And so uh, here's what I, here, here are the subjects that we will be covering, all except one. Eschatology deals with what is known as the inner death and the intermediate state. Now that's the topic uh, which we're going to, Brother Josh is going to deal with the first topic, uh, the rapture, what I call the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture, the second coming of Christ, or what may be called the first phase of the second coming of Christ. But death and the intermediate state. Now the only thing I would say about this, and what this deals with, what happens to the individual who dies? And we've had lots of familiarity with that in our church and among my friends. Hee-haw quartet. Anybody ever heard the hee-haw quartet? They used to close out all their programs every night, every, every week with a hymn or gospel song with a quartet. And I've got a tape. They combine those in tape. And one of those songs is called Gone Home. All my friends have gone home. I'm sort of feeling that, you know. But what happens when a person dies, they don't go immediately now. They don't go immediately to their reward. And I may, I mean, Josh may refer to that when talking about the rapture. Uh, but there's a place of conscious existence between death and the resurrection of the body. And of course, one of the classic teachings on that is in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Two people died, Lazarus and the rich man. And when Lazarus died, he was a beggar, he said, poor, but he was a believer. And he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, place of existence. The rich man died, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. There's a place of conscious existence for both the believer and the unbeliever when death comes. But that's not the final state because there's eventually going to come the resurrection of the bodies of those who die. But there is an intermediate state of conscious existence between the death of the body and the resurrection of the body. And so death and the intermediate state is really one of the first topics in a uh, in a series of eschatology. And then there comes what is known as the rapture and the resurrection of believers, which is going to accompany the rapture, which is the what I call the first phase of the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. And uh, as I said, I've, I've entitled this, I don't know what Josh is going to call it, but I've entitled it The Next Event on God's Prophetic Calendar. Now what I mean by that, uh, Christian friends, is that there's nothing revealed in Scripture that has to happen before Jesus can come back. 
I mean, he could come to, well, I've been, I'm, I, I'll let, let Josh deal with that in a little bit more detail. I'm just talking about the subjects now, the subjects that's involved with the doctrine of eschatology. There's death and the intermediate state, the rapture or the second coming of Christ for the saints, and then there will be the resurrection of the believers, and then in, in, in connection with that is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is for believers. We will have to give an account one of these days as we sit or stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and there's some question as to the timing of this, but uh, this is another subject that our pastor is going to be dealing with. Now, after the rapture, there are going things take place on this earth. That's when the what most people call the great tribulation period will take place. Now, when I say the great tribulation period, there are those, there have been those tribulations that Christians have gone through. In the time of the New Testament, there was the persecution under Nero, Domitian, and in history, uh, in, in Christian history, there have been various persecutions, but there's coming a persecution, there's coming a tribulation the like of which the never the, the earth has never seen before and will never see again. And we'll talk about that period of the great tribulation period. And then after the tribulation, uh, Christ will judge the Antichrist and there will be the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign of our Lord. And uh, Brother Josh is going to be dealing with the Rapture, and you're going to be dealing with the judgment seat of Christ in the next two uh, uh, two studies, and then there's the re there's the resurrection of unbelievers, and the final judgment, which is devoted to unbelievers, what is known as the great white throne judgment. Now we're not going to be dealing with the uh, exp expounding the book of Revelation, but in chapter four of the book of Revelation. There's a throne scene. And in that throne scene, it's a rainbow encircled throne. And before that, 24 elders sit. That rainbow characterizes that throne as a throne of grace before which believers will stand. And then there's a throne scene in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. It's described as a great white throne, a throne of justice. And before that throne, no believer will have to stand, only unbelievers. And so the final judgment, the resurrection of unbelievers, uh, there's a first resurrection, which is a resurrection of believers. There is a, another resurrection at the great white throne. And then eternity, heaven, the final destiny, uh, of the believer and hell the final destiny of unbelievers and so that's this that's the topics that's usually uh, involved in a system of eschatology and then finally there's a classification of eschatological systems I've listed four here one is very recent uh, the, other, the other three have been helped by people in, uh, in different ages. Uh, 
And it's really your, your, your eschatological system is going to be based upon how you relate the second coming of Christ to the millennial reign. Now, the millennial reign is set forth in the uh, 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. Uh, Christ and, we, and the saints will reign with him a thousand years. The word thousand years, we get the word millennium from that. That's where we get the term millennium that, as a reference to the thousand years spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. Though there are other passages that deal with this particular time period, but that's where we get the word millennium. And so one's viewpoint of eschatology is related to the, it relates the second coming of Christ to that millennial period. And so there's what is known as the amillennial viewpoint. Now the amillennial viewpoint, the, the prefixed a or a is a Greek negative. And so it means those individuals who don't believe in a literal reign of Christ on this earth. Now they hold to a number of these other topics. For example, an amillennialist would believe in death and the, and, and the intermediate state. Uh, they believe in a literal coming of Christ uh, and even the imminence of Christ's return, that Christ can come at any time. There will be a general resurrection, not, not a resurrection of believers and then later on a resurrection of unbelievers, but everybody will be raised at the same time and there will be a general judgment. There won't be a judgment seat of Christ for believers and a, a, a final judgment for unbelievers. And they believe in eternity. They believe in heaven and hell. And so that's been a very common position held by uh, a number of Baptists in history. Then there's the post-millennial view. The prefix post has to do with after. That is, there will be a millennial era, era, but it won't be Christ reigning personally and visibly. He will reign through the church or through believers. Uh, they believe that eventually the world will be converted and uh, all governments will be run by righteous people. And it will be a golden age of peace, universal peace. They do believe in death and intermediate state. They believe in the conversion of, the, but they do believe in the conversion of the world. Uh, they even believe that Jews will be eventually converted. Uh, Christ will return. There will be a general resurrection, a general judgment, and heaven and hell. But the, the viewpoint is the millennial reign will be brought in through the conversion of the world, and 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 it will just be something of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in believers to usher in a righteous world. And then, of course, there's the pre-millennial view. The pre-millennial view is the one that I've held since every time I, ever since I've been interested in this subject. As a teenage preacher, I guess the Lord got me in contact with, uh, as a young Christian, I didn't know what millennium or any of this was, but after becoming a preacher, I had to get some studying done. And so the Lord put me in the right crowd, I think. And uh, after going through college and seminary, I had most of my professors were amillennialists, and some of my friends were really surprised when I got my doctor's degree and I was still a premillennialist. And I called myself an unrepentant premillennialist. And so that's the position now uh, I'm leading your pastor into. 
and that's the that's the order that's the that's the order of the the series of the, the topic that we are going to be discussing later. He's going to deal with the rapture, and he's going to deal with the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, if it still goes as planned, I'll be dealing with the tribulation period. And uh, in two in two studies, I see four things developing in the tribulation period: the rise of the antichrist, God's dealings with the Jews again redemptively, then there will be the persecution, and then finally the judgments of God on the Antichrist and his kingdom. And so I'll be dealing with, with the Antichrist and God's dealing with the Jews again in one study and be dealing with the uh, uh, persecution and the uh, uh, judgments of God in the second study. And then finally there's the millennial, and the pastor, I think, would like to deal with that and then finally the final judgment of unbelievers so that's that's what you can expect in the future the Lord willing and uh, my hope is that he comes so we won't have to finish this thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance we invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sunday at 8.30 or 11 a.m. as well as streaming live on Facebook and YouTube on Sundays at 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.